Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jason Gray, Education Department's Chief Information Officer and CIO Council's IT Workforce Committee Co-Chairman and one of the executive sponsors of the upcoming CIO Council hiring event. And in many ways, this is why we're here today to talk about the hiring event. But Jason, this is your first time on the show, so welcome to the program. Thank you. Let me start at the beginning. The CIO Council is sponsoring this IT hiring fair November 6th and 7th in Silver Spring, Maryland. It's a huge change in terms of the way agencies are hiring workers where there's a lot of demand and not a lot of supply. So let's talk about the hiring fair and and give some background on it to start us. One of the biggest challenges facing the federal CIO community is the recruitment, hiring, and retention uh, of IT and cybersecurity professionals. And the CIO Council Workforce Committee is focused on providing the federal government uh, with a cadre of highly qualified and capable IT professionals and in critical competencies to meet uh, agency goals. So the council got together in the spring uh, and we looked at leveraging uh, the highly successful DHS uh, cyber uh, tech and cyber job fair by exploring how we could do that government-wide. So for the last six months, me and Beth Kaloran, who's the HHS CIO, have been working in the IT Workforce Committee with OMB uh, and OPM uh, to sponsor and host a first government-wide hiring event. I've covered the DHS hiring affairs, and they've done both the virtual kind, the in-person kind, and this seems to be a pretty good carbon copy. I mean, when DHS came in and hopefully briefed you guys on it, or when you guys looked at their efforts, what stood out to you? Why did this make sense to go government-wide versus why not the education do one, and why not Interior do one, and and HHS do one? And we were looking at ways to not only capitalize on what other agencies had done, but we realized that... It takes a lot of effort to have different HR components in each of the agencies put together job announcements and a lot of the background work that needs to be done. We realized by doing an agency-wide hiring event, we could streamline that with three vacancy announcements that everyone could leverage the same certificates for uh, hiring opportunities. It's funny because in many ways I know covering the HR world a little bit, OPM has been trying to get down that path of getting that, that one certificate or one hiring announcement for everyone on specific job categories. And IT probably is probably one of the easiest ones to do that because if you're looking for a systems administrator or a project manager, the skill sets, while education is different, again, than Interior, than HHS, the skill sets are basically the same. Is that what was part of the thinking? That was exactly the part of the thinking. IT would be one of the easiest because the skill sets are the same. While there may be specific based on mission, having been in five different agencies, I have seen the same thing in different agencies. That's when I talk to new CIOs, and you're relatively new to education, and I always ask, well, what's the hardest part, learning the mission or the IT? And invariably, they say, oh, it's always, I have to learn the mission. If you said five different agencies, imagine if you're IT in each of those agencies, the way the the cord goes into the computer, (laughs) the the way the, the the software is designed, so to speak, probably is all the same. So talk a little bit about the hiring fair and what did you borrow from DHS? What is what is a little different? What did you tweak? Give me a sense of how this is going to work in November 6th and 7th. DHS did such a great job with their hiring fair. We actually followed a very similar path. The, the difference is just that it's open government-wide. 
And I think that's a great testament to the work that DHS has done, and, and obviously you guys saw the value in that. Let's talk about the current status of this hiring fair. We know it's a couple of weeks away still. You guys have gotten a lot of applicants. What's the current state of applicants? Are the job announcements closed? Have you reached your maximum? And then what happens between now and November 6th and 7th? The job announcements actually close. We have three announcements. Uh, two of them close on the 10th of November, and one of them closes on the 31st of January. The actual hiring event itself has closed for registration because we're at around 2,500, uh, actually at 2,500 uh, registered applicants. As of yesterday, we have approximately 2,500 applicants as well, so it, it is uh, through those three announcements. We have over 30 agencies who are participating, five intelligence agencies that are, that are participating as well. We have close to 30 states that are represented in terms of the number of applicants, and we're just really excited to, to get this, this going. The 30 agencies, including five intel agencies, go through, if you remember, a few of them. Education's one of them. HHS is one of them. I'll just make those guesses since you guys led the Workforce Committee. Large, small agencies, mostly large. Just give me a sense of who's going to participate. There's a combination. There is primarily large agencies. We've also reached out to the smaller agencies as well. In terms of the intelligence community, we have the CIA, NSA, DIA, FBI, and NGA all participating. So it's a, it's a nice mix. And based on the venue space, it, not everyone will be there the entire time. But over two days, we're definitely looking forward to as much representation across government uh, as we can get. And give me a sense of what's happened between now and then. Are, are the 2,500 applicants being shared across all 30 agencies? And then what happens? Right now, the IT Workforce Committee support group and OPM is meeting weekly with all participating agencies. There's a standing call that we have every Monday morning where we address any questions or that an agency would have to address to make sure that they can be successful. Right now, agencies can request a list of candidates both uh, before, during, and after the event concludes. We're currently in the review phase of this process where most agencies are reviewing applications to determine if they meet all required qualifications. The next phase will be to invite qualified candidates for interviews during the hiring event with the goal of making tentative job offers uh, if the candidate is found suitable for the position. And I would really like to say that we've had a massive amount of support from Montgomery County, Maryland, for this event, from securing the venue to issuing travel and commuter advisories. The county's been phenomenal in supporting this event, and I'm grateful for that. One of the other pieces of this is you go back to the meetings on Monday mornings. Just had a meeting earlier this week. Give me a sense of some of the trends. What were some of the questions? Did anything stand out to you? Or maybe if not just this week, but over the last few weeks, what are agencies asking about not just the applicants, but I guess the hiring fair as well? At this point, it's really more logistics about it of, you know, where are people going to host their booths? How will the transition from one place to an interviewing place? It's those types of questions right now, primarily. And when you talk about the review processes underway, if uh, Jason Gray, the Education Department CIO, wants to hire somebody and and Beth Clore and the HHS CIO also wants to hire somebody where they're interested in somebody. What happens? Does that person get a choice? Or how is this going to work on November 6th and 7th with 30 agencies and 2,500 applicants? That's uh, eight or nine applicants per agency, but doesn't always work that way. No, I think that's where the real one of the key benefits of the hiring event 
gives agencies the opportunity to talk about their mission, to talk about what those positions will be doing, and then it will really be up to the applicant to make the determination of which agency they're more interested in, uh, as well as making sure they're the right fit for the agency. All right, so there's a kind of a, it's a, agencies are selling themselves, but the applicants also have to sell themselves. And do you guys get a sense, and maybe it's agency by agency, of, of how many open positions there are, or how many positions that, that, for instance, education, let's just pick on you for a second. Are you guys looking to hire X amount of applicants, or is it, you know, you have some openings and you'll fill them as needed? For education, we do have some openings, and we're looking to possibly leverage some of those positions, but there's not a set target. Uh, and from talking with other agencies, I think the approach is, is very similar. What else should people know about this hiring fair? We're going to continue to talk about it, but as we talk about the November 6th and 7th date as it gets closer, what should both agencies, what should people who are interested in jobs? And, and I think one question I've gotten when I wrote the story a couple of weeks ago was about, was this just for non-federal employees, meaning people who are new to the federal office, but this is also for federal employees. So what's, what's the message that you guys are hoping to ensure that, that people come as they preparing to attend the hiring fair? One of the things I'd recommend is for people who are interested in these positions uh, is to make sure your resumes are, are written well, be prepared from an interview standpoint, that you understand the federal hiring process. Specifically, one thing I have seen in, in my career is that the structured interview process of, ending, of answering standardized questions is not always familiar to people, so I would definitely brush up on that and just come well prepared to uh, experience what other agencies are doing, what their missions are, and to, you know, talk about the great and innovative things they can do coming to government. That reminds me of what you probably tell all your vendor uh, friends as well. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion about this uh, CIO Council hiring fair. My guest today is Jason Gray, the Department of Education's Chief Information Officer and the CIO Council's IT Workforce Committee Co-Chairman and one of the executive sponsors of this hiring event. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 a.m. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jason Gray, the Education Department's CIO and the CIO Council's IT Workforce Committee co-chairman. Now, Jason, we've been talking about the hiring fair that the CIO Council is sponsoring coming up on November 6th and 7th in Silver Spring, Maryland. 2,500 applicants, 30 agencies participating. Those are great numbers. But what are our success factors? How is the CIO Council measuring success of this hiring fair? Right now, we have four primary goals for this event. Goal one is to attract, interview, and ultimately hire as many qualified IT and cyber professionals as possible. Goal two is to reduce the time to offer for IT and cybersecurity professionals by six to eight weeks. Goal three is to increase access and awareness of federal agency missions. And goal four is to consolidate and strengthen uh, federal government vacancy marketing and outreach. And the, the council is actually capturing a lot of other metrics uh, as a part of this hiring event. Uh, some of them we've already talked about, the number of agencies. Uh, we're also capturing demographics. We're capturing, you know, where people are coming in from, whether they're remote, local. Uh, and then after uh, the event is over, we will be putting an after-action report on CIO.gov on the various metrics, targets we achieved, as well as lessons learned. The big one of all those is obviously the first two, attracting qualified IT and cyber professionals, as well as reducing the time to offer by six to eight weeks. Uh, I know, based on the work OPM did in the early 2010s, that though some agencies took 140, 160, 200 days to hire somebody, uh, that came down. I think the goal was at one point, the government-wide goal was 100 days or less. Do you guys have a sense now of what the baseline is? On average, what does it take to hire IT and cyber 
professionals? I do not have that information. Uh, I know the number that we're aiming for is six to eight weeks less than the average, which was 15 weeks before. So we're looking around six to seven weeks to hire. Okay, so 15 weeks was roughly the baseline we're talking about here. And cutting that in half, do you guys get a sense that that's what the private sector average is and that's why you're trying to get it down? Because I know a lot of times, when, and you probably experienced this at the education department, you find someone you like, you make them an offer, but you want, or you want to make them an offer, but it, by the time it gets through the rigmarole of, of government, that person may have found another job because it just took so long. Is, is that why the six to eight weeks is a good goal? That is absolutely why that's a good goal, and, and I laugh because literally the last two weeks I've had that experience where I've gone to make tentative offers to individuals only to find out that the time took so long that they've actually had found other jobs, uh, in one case with another agency, which is great for government, but in another case, private industry. So that is one of the primary driving uh, factors of why we're looking at reducing. And from a CIO's perspective, and I'm glad you brought up the fact that, unfortunately, this just happened to you the last uh, couple of weeks, how frustrating is that? And what does it do for you in terms of how can I get people in those positions? Because are you starting from, you know, over or are you going to plan C and plan D in terms of the people, in terms of your list of people? From experience, what we've done is you typically get three different lists. You get a best qualified, well qualified, and qualified. And when we have gone through the best qualified list, we pick a couple candidates, primary, secondary. And in the case that I'm referring to, we actually had uh, both the primary and secondary withdraw. We went to uh, the next list. But fortunately, in the next list of candidates, there was a number of extremely qualified individuals. Uh, which, again, is a lessons learned where we get to go back to HR and ask the question, well, why did these individuals not show up as best qualified? So it allows us to improve our process, but in the case that I'm speaking of, we actually uh, had a couple additional very qualified candidates. So there is no impact uh, at this point, but that's not always the case. And I think that's actually nice to hear because the concern, and I think the government gets, gets a bad reputation sometimes, of not being able to hire the best and the brightest. And while person one, person two may have been A pluses. It sounds like the person three and four that you looked at were still solid A's. And, you know, as we all know, if you've hired an A is an A is an A. So do you get a sense that that reputation the government has maybe is, is maybe a little unfair or, or a little unheard of, or is it depends on the position, depends on the agency? I think it depends on the, the position and the agency, because uh, in my experience, not, not everyone uh, operates the same exact way. And then the candidates, it really depends on the candidate pool as well. You'll have certain candidates that apply for certain agencies, and it, it, that really influences that as well. One of your other goals is attract and hire IT and cyber professionals. Of the two, I mentioned cyber is still the most difficult in terms of supply versus demand? Yes, I would say that has definitely been a challenge. And are you guys, again, let's go back to put your other hat on as education CIO for a second. When you guys go to hire cyber, what are you finding in the market? Because, of course, one of the things this hiring fair is trying to do is make it easier for all agencies to find the right candidates for cybersecurity positions. I think one of the the challenges is which the hiring event itself is going to help a lot with is is getting the the story about the mission of what you're doing. And that that is key because it attracts the right type of talent. Some people look at the Department of Education and they think okay, what is what do you really do? You're just about education. And while we are about education, we're actually about providing uh, financial aid to students. Uh, so we have a significant uh, number of sensitive PII type data that we're responsible for protecting and defending, which is absolutely critical. So 
that is definitely appealing to a cyber professional looking for, for a challenge. We have a, a significant financial piece as well with over a trillion dollars that are going through our system. So that is, again, it's about marketing. And sometimes, at least in the, uh, the interviews I have conducted since I've been here, we you know, people are surprised at, oh, wow, you have that amount of PII or, wow, you have that much uh, uh, financial transactions that are going on. So it's really about marketing and then it's attracting that, which, again, I'm hoping to leverage the hiring event to share what our mission is, what we do from an IT standpoint, from a cybersecurity standpoint, what we're really here to protect and defend against. You make a really great point that a lot of times the government gets that, again, the lack of education about what the government does. Oh, it's education. Oh, it's interior. But what they do underneath the covers is really key here. I mean, someone who is really attracted to protecting, you know, the financial management side of cybersecurity, there's very few better places than probably education. So let's shift a little bit just um, away from this hiring fair, but still talk CIO Council. One of the things that you guys have done for through the CIO Council over the last two or three years is really look at the workforce in different ways, really trying to improve the workforce through training, through different initiatives. Talk a little bit about some of the goals you guys have for the Workforce Committee. How are you, uh, what are you looking at beyond this hiring fair over the next year or two or more? Right now, uh, we're still, the Workforce Committee is still working on finalizing long-term strategies uh, in collaboration with OPM. One of the, the goals that we definitely have is about improving the recruitment, hiring, and retention of highly, highly qualified IT and cybersecurity professionals within the federal workspace. But right now, we're you know, we're really focused on the hiring event. There are several other activities that we currently have that are that are not uh, finalized yet, and I'd be happy to follow up with those uh, when they become uh, more more final. All right. Well, sounds like something to follow up interview then in in the coming months when when things are, are ready. Well, I brought up the CIO Council's work over the last year and a half or so. One of the big things was the IT Solutions Challenge, a very innovative idea to bring middle managers, if you will, GS9s, GS10s, GS11s, and and train them and really get them to work on specific projects. Talk a little bit about that idea and how that worked, and then tell us, are we looking at new IT solutions, new similar ideas? What's the plan? I know you mentioned long-term vision, but maybe try to pull a little bit, slice it a little thinner and say, Let's, let's look at the training aspect. Well, I can't speak specifically about the IT Solutions Challenge because I was not here at the time. I can say that we are looking for other ways. We've, there's Again, there's several ideas that we've talked about that the Workforce Committee uh, deals with, and we, we meet every couple weeks to, to walk through uh, some of the ideas. We've talked about a standardized PD library that the rest of government could leverage. We've talked about a significant training effort to standardize kind of a career path for uh, IT professionals, but all of those things are currently in the works right now, meaning I, I can't give you the specifics uh, because we're still in the process of building them out closely with uh, OMB uh, and OPM. And I know Congressman Will Hurd has talked about this Cyber National Guard. I know you can't talk about the legislation per se. He's also talked a lot about understanding what the needs are. And that actually leads us down the path to a workforce survey. And I know the, the CIO Council did one back in 2015. Did you get a sense from that survey? Is that some of the data you guys are using that, that kind of push you toward doing this hiring fair? What other pieces and parts from that survey are you guys kind of, how's that kind of influencing 
your long-term vision? At this time, we have no plans to conduct another survey. Uh, that, that survey actually uh, provided some cursory level uh, details about the challenges facing the, the federal CIO community. But one thing it, it did allow us to do or drove us towards is we you know, have a close partnership, of course, with from the CIO Council with the Chico uh, council as well as uh, OPM and OMB to to make sure that that we're looking at really the whole picture from a government standpoint. So we're we're working closely with the Chico Council to pull different types of metrics that they pull to make sure to help influence. And we're looking at the hiring event, providing more metrics that we of course will share with the Chico Council uh, to to figure how can we do it better and how can we target specifically. Uh, the challenges that the government is facing. That's an important piece there that you mentioned is, is taking those metrics and understanding them and then having the metrics lead the way to future events, future initiatives, or future ideas. Jason, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, jump into uh, your other hat, which is, the, as I mentioned, the Education Department CIO. My guest is Jason Gray, the Education Department CIO and the CIO Council's IT Workforce Committee co-chairman. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jason Gray, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer and the CIO Council's IT Workforce Committee Co-Chairman. Now, Jason, we spent the first part of the show, first half of the show, really talking about the CIO Council's hiring fair, is just to go back to it, November 6th and 7th, Silver Spring, Maryland, about 2,500 applicants, 30 agencies will be there. A lot of expectation for this hiring fair, and really, as you mentioned just previously, the metrics that will come from this will really will help point the CIO Council, point agencies forward in terms of how they can improve hiring, uh, retainment, recruitment, and all, and all those things around HR. Let me shift some gears and, and put on your other hat as the Education Department CIO. You have workforce challenges, too. You gave us a couple good anecdotes regarding being able to hire someone and then by the time it got through the process, you, you missed the boat on your top candidate. Let's talk about the workforce challenges your office faces in the education department, and how are you guys addressing those from an IT cyber perspective? When I got to the department, I laid out that I have five focus areas, security, FITARA, innovation, customer service, service delivery, and organizational health. And organizational health is really where I focus on the workforce, uh, not just the future workforce, but also the existing workforce now. One of the, the key things that I did, uh, and, and it's not just me, it's the whole team that did this, is we put together a staffing capability matrix that I actually have in, in front of me so that you can uh, kind of see how, how this works. But it it's basically maps out each of the positions in each of the areas, as well as the functional capabilities for each position. And it was to really get the as-is picture of what does our workforce look like, what are our skill sets uh, from a capability standpoint. And then this uh, matrix, which is done for the entire organization, is leveraged to discuss hiring exceptions and what positions I need, what, the, what they're providing, and what happens if I don't get them, as well as training decisions in terms of how am I making sure that I am providing the right type of training for the existing staff. Uh, I will say also that the secretary has been very supportive from a workforce standpoint and what we're doing here, cybersecurity and IT is very important to her. 
and she has been very supportive. When I look at the number of hiring exceptions, the department, if you look at the department as a whole, the OCIO has received about close to 50% of the, the actual hiring exceptions, which clearly demonstrates that uh, that it's important to the department. So those are a, a couple of the ways that we're looking uh, at addressing the workforce challenges. In terms of a morale standpoint, one of the things that uh, I have been focused heavily on since I have been here is employee engagement. Uh, and you will see when the uh, Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey uh, results come out that all eight indices in the survey, our organization, OCIO, has improved in every single one of them. And in most of them, uh, more than half by double digits. So I, I believe what we're doing is is the right thing and we're heading, uh, but having a healthy workforce and organization is absolutely critical to sustaining and creating a sustainable workforce where people want to stay because uh, they're they're valued and they're delivering on capability. That's super news and congratulations. Uh, you know when you talk about the FEVS survey, and I know OPM is going to put out some more data each week over the next couple of weeks. But the fact is that you've seen increases across the board. When it's the old happy workforce is a successful workforce, I want to delve into that a little bit. But before I do that, help me understand. Uh, OCI received fifty percent of the hiring exceptions, meaning. You had an open position. Instead of freezing that position, you were told to go ahead and hire for that position? So, no. What I mean is that if you look at the total number of positions that were approved through the hiring exception, around 50% of the department as a whole, my organization received. Uh, and I do attribute that to being able to not only the you know the support of the secretary of you know, supporting what we're doing, but also being able to clearly articulate what we need, why we need it, and what happens if we don't get it. So you don't just hold up the cybersecurity, the front page of uh, the federal news radio, or, or pick your publication and go, cybersecurity, and wave it in front of your, your, your secretary and deputy secretary? Uh, it doesn't work very well sometimes. No, uh, and, and what's, what's really interesting is uh, some of those positions certainly are cybersecurity, but some of them are not. Some of them are in areas like governance, which is absolutely critical, and those are areas that sometimes you don't get the attention, but that's the goes back to the proactive piece is that that allows you to to really understand your enterprise as a whole to make sure you're making good decisions. So it's not just cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is absolutely important, but IT in general. Let's talk about the the employee engagement piece. As you talked about, eight indices all went up some more than half in terms of more than half in double digits. Uh, how did you do that? What were some of the, the things that you focused on? Because I think other CIOs are facing similar challenges. Some of the things that, again, is really about employee engagement. Uh, I have done one-on-ones with the employees. I've gone to uh, all of their staff meetings. I have a biweekly brown bag lunch where I invite people from different divisions to come and have lunch. And we sit down and we just talk. There's no agenda, just a free-flowing conversation. We also have uh, quarterly all-staff meetings where we do team-building activities, and uh, those have gone over very well. So it's those types of activities that have really, uh, I believe, and, and again, it, you can't fake it. Uh, you have to be real. You have to be genuine because otherwise people can see right through it. I was uh, got the opportunity to sit in at the Federal Communications Commission's uh, what they call their stand-up. They have a, a, a daily stand-up where everyone gets about 20. They take 20 minutes to go over each project. Uh, are you guys looking at something? Are you guys doing something similar? Are you talking about brown, brown bag lunches with no agenda, which is a, a great way to, to foster that communication? But you also have to have that daily input and make sure 
hey, uh, Jason's in his office again, we can't bug him, right? H how do you ensure that your people know every day that you're there for help, you care, and, and all those important things that come with being a leader? I walk around. I rarely have free time, but when I do have free time, I walk around to engage with employees so they're aware. I also, every Monday or Tuesday at the latest, send out uh, something called Hot Topics, which is literally an overview of what each of the divisions and branches are doing for the week. Uh, and in addition, I usually add a paragraph or two more of a leadership uh, story uh, that, that I push out as well. Uh, we do have regular standing meetings as well. Uh, the brown bags I was referencing is more just for all employees, and my goal is to have and meet with each employee, because we're talking about over 100 employees. My goal is to meet with each of them at least twice a year, specifically for lunch. And I'm finding that some of the employees, while they've been here for decades in some cases, they don't, they don't know each other because they don't work together. So to me, it's about you know, building the bridges between the silos and getting people to know each other. And When you looked at the FEVs results, was there a surprise in there? Did you, when you looked at all the ones that went up, did something stand out to you and did you go, whoa, I didn't realize that was going to happen? To be honest, I was hopeful that the, the, the metrics would go up. I was, uh, and I've, as I've told all staff during the staff meeting, it's not about improving the metric, right? It's about creating a workforce and a workplace where people want to come, where they're excited about coming. Uh, I will say that our metrics are not where I want them to be, meaning that when I look overall, um, you know, they're not as high as I would like them to be. But when I see the significant progress that we've made, I know we're heading in the right direction. And I think that's key. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It's not about just getting the metrics, not raising the score from 40 to 50 to 60, but it's a, a symptom of the disease, right? Are you beating the disease while well, the symptoms are getting less? Let me shift over to IT priorities. You mentioned uh, your five focus areas. Uh, cyber obviously was one of them. Uh, customer service is another. Talk about the priorities, I guess, within each of those areas of the cloud, cybersecurity, big data, all those buzzwords that we hear from all the CIOs. So uh, cybersecurity, of course, is about strengthening and enhancing the department's posture. We're looking at, you know, continuing our work with CDM. On the 21st of September, DHS signed off on our operational readiness review for phase one, and we're currently focused on kicking off phase two. We kicked off phase two uh, activities a, a couple of weeks ago, actually, which is uh, two separate phase uh, areas, credentialing management and privilege management. We've already done the as-is state for credentialing management and 2B, and we're currently looking at developing the pilot of the 2B solution requirements, and I look forward to continuing that. So... From a cyber standpoint, that's some of that. There's a lot of other activities we're working on as well to, again, to continue enhance where FISMA, of course, is high on my mind in priority list. And I know that uh, we're currently in the process of working through our audit results. And I'm looking forward to making continuous progress uh, in making sure not only that we're complying as we should, but that we're, we're continuing to strive to get better in the new maturity model that's out there. So when I look at the other areas, FATARA as well, I know that the last official scorecard that went out, we raised from a D to a C plus. Uh, and I know that that changes, uh, and we have to adapt with the change. I know we were one of three agencies from the software management piece that that had a, a, a positive grade. We're 
working actively to make sure that we're doing the things uh, that really is the intent behind FITAR, making sure that I am accountable. I know what's going on from an acquisition standpoint, from a budget planning and execution, uh, as well as all of the other pieces that are baked into FITARA. From uh, an innovation piece, a lot of uh, when I look at innovation, it's really about most of my career has been in healthcare IT, and I sometimes think that IT tends to operate like an emergency room for crisis management. And I think hospitals need an emergency room, and I think there's a need for that. However, we need to have like a short-term, mid-range, long-term treatment plan when you're at a hospital, not just an emergency room. So we're looking at the innovation to find the right balance between the reactive versus proactive. So on that front, on the customer service and service delivery, uh, that's absolutely critical to not only understand the difference between customer service, because you can have great customer service, but if you're not delivering good service, it doesn't matter how great your customer service is. And then uh, organizational health, I've talked a good deal about as well. There are some other priorities that we have is I'm closely monitoring uh, MGT to see if it passes to make sure that we're working. Uh, we have several proposals that are prepared because I think that would be a game changer for federal CIOs because it would give us the ability to tap into uh, modernization uh, funds to to get stuff moving quickly. In terms of some of the some of those, just to, to touch on it, uh, one of the key things I'm looking at is cloud consolidation which taps into a, a couple other things we're doing here. We have a IT systems visualization and systems assessment that has been going on for a few months. And in the next couple months, we'll have our as-is uh, environment completely mapped out with the next five months after that to have the 2B and a roadmap on how we're getting there, which is a, an IT strategic roadmap. And parallel to that or concurrently with that, we're also in the process of implementing TBM here at the department. And I'm really looking forward to that because that will serve as an overlay on top of the IT systems assessment that we're doing, which is the IT visualization, so that when I see the as-is, I'll have the funding associated with each of the areas. And when I go to the 2B, I'll understand what is the potential cost savings or avoidance when we make these changes. An example is we have a fair number of externally hosted systems, and I'm looking at not only consolidating those, because in some cases they're separate contracts and you know separate you know ATOs, but they may end up being hosted uh, in similar or the same environment, uh, just with different vehicles. So I'm looking at consolidating that. We're also looking at doing some additional work from a grants management system and core financial system as well. Jason, let me take a quick break. When we come back, I want to delve into some of these priorities. My guest is Jason Gray, the Department of Education CIO. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Jason Gray, the Education Department's Chief Information Officer. Now, Jason, before break, you listed your priorities. There's a lot on your plate. One of the things that definitely stood out to me was this idea of the IT systems visualization and assessment. You talked about it in, in detail. You mentioned uh, TBM, Technology Business Management, the big push from OMB in this year's uh, Capital Planning Investment Control effort. Go into a little more detail, if you can, about this visualization assessment. How are you 
you doing it? What are you finding? Is, is this just a, a new name for enterprise architecture? Uh, give me a sense. When the secretary arrived here at the department, she challenged the department to look for new and innovative ways to improve the services that we deliver, not only to students, but also to, to the department as a whole. And we took that seriously. We have an innovation fund within uh, my office that we leverage to uh, acquire a tool that maps out our as-is environment of all of our IT systems, which is a vendor that comes in and creates a visual depiction which will fit on a wall of these are all of the systems you have, these are the core business functions that those systems provide, here's where there's perhaps redundancy or duplication, there may be five different systems as an example, and maybe all five of them provide very similar uh, capability, but in some cases maybe three of them provide less capability, and then the intent behind it would be to look at ways to consolidate those into one system or a couple systems and reduce. One of the things I mentioned earlier is about we have a fair number of externally hosted systems here, and that uh, is a target to figure out how do we consolidate and collapse those things. So the other thing that it does is it, it will, so it will walk through our entire environment, which includes federal student aid, the entire, all of our IT systems, not only our high value assets, everything. And then we'll be able to, I'll be able to make better decisions based on that information. One of the things to give an example of some of the types of data and some of the things I'm looking at over the last year, we went away from uh, high cost storage. If you look at the uh, GSA benchmarking from an IT standpoint, you would see the Department of Education historically has had a pretty high cost per gigabyte, per terabyte of data. And one of the challenges is with a contract that was firm fixed price. And if we can't change the contract, which we're at the tail end, so that would be a challenge, uh, it was let's remove the amount of storage that we have. So we ended up reducing the amount of storage by shifting it to cheaper storage, in some case archive storage, and then in another case much cheaper storage. So we're looking at bringing that down. I'm looking at the IT visualization to really create the as-is environment because you know, as often as said, it, you can't manage what you can't measure. And by seeing it, we'll be able to see, okay, this is where we were at. And then a part of the process is not only the as-is, but the to-be state, uh, which, again, we are partnering with this uh, vendor to create the to-be state uh, with all the stakeholders in the department. So it's not just IT saying, hey, this is what we should do. It should be uh, supporting the mission uh, of the department and the, the lines of business. And then we create the to-be and then a roadmap, which is like a large Gantt chart to explain what are the interdependencies and how does this lay out. Once that's done, we end up digging into, uh, and I mentioned earlier about doing a parallel TBM effort, which is about uh, aligning all of our IT costs and IT spend into different IT cost towers so that we will know and my vision is that by May or June of next year, we'll actually have an overlay on top of this IT visualization, the as-is and the to-be, so that when we start consolidating and moving systems around, meaning a consolidating or even doing away with systems or incorporating different capabilities into other systems, that we 
have the costs associated with it. It's, it's very easy to say, oh, we can save so much money doing this, but if you can't actually see it and you don't know what those costs are associated are, that creates a challenge. And this, uh, I have briefed the Secretary's office. They're very excited about this. I know we have a briefing next week to with the senior leadership to walk through what we're doing, why we're doing it, and so that they have the, the full picture. That's a fascinating example, and I think uh, so many other agencies would probably love to borrow your tool or borrow your processes. How are you coming up with the cost? Because the baseline cost seems very difficult, and it's always moving. So where you have today, you have, again, well, let's use email, 1,000 people with email addresses. Tomorrow you'll have 999, the next day you'll have 1,005. And then how, do you, how are you setting the baseline? One of the – that's a really good question. I mean, the as-is is just going to be the baseline of where we're at. And then it, it's really going to be an iterative process, uh, just like the journey of TBM is an iterative process. I would envision that it will mature in time. One of the the really fortunate things at the department, the our core financial system actually falls within OCIO here, which is rather unique. So the actual team that manages, you know, the actual core financial systems and develops them work within OCIO. So we're working very closely to make sure that we're capturing the right data elements, that we've got the right fields so that we can mature that as we go on because that is a challenge you have embedded IT or shadow IT and we're making sure that you know but we know what our total number is so when we plug in our number and say this is what we're spending on IT all of that needs to fall into one of the towers and categories so that we can we can capture that and start using that data to make better decisions. You also mentioned TBM. How are you doing that overlay? Uh, I know there was a push from OMB to really use TBM in the CPIC process. I, I d have done some reporting to some CIOs or CIOs at the CIO Council. Push back a little bit saying we totally agree with this, but it's, it's going to take a while. It's, it's, a, it's a big ramp up. How are you guys ramping up? And one of the ways we're ramping up is I have sent uh, half a dozen of my employees through the TBM training to make sure that they're aware of what's going on. We literally last week had our, our second kickoff meeting where we walked through the timeline and the schedule. Uh, and it, 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 with our vendor, they said it was the easiest uh, kickoff that they've actually had because we actually knew what we were doing, why we were doing it. Uh, so I'm anticipating uh, in short order within the next, you know, five to six months that we'll actually have uh, a lot more um, to speak about. Excellent. I think that's definitely worth following up. I think there's a ton of interest across the government on TBM. So if you guys can be a, maybe a little bit out ahead, I think a lot of people would like love to know what you're doing. Jason, we're almost out of time. This has been a fascinating conversation. Before I let you go, let me just bring up one uh, a tough part of your uh, time here at education is uh, some of the scrutiny that the Congress brought on you uh, for recent cyber incidents with the FAFSA data. We're not going to go back and relook at that incident, but talk a little bit about what's happening since then. And how are you fixing whatever problems there were? And, and obviously you mentioned CDM is a big part of that. Well, I can't go into the specifics about all of the things we're doing to strengthen, enhance, and enhance the cybersecurity of the department, uh, systems, and data. Uh, I am happy to say that on 1 October, the DRT was turned back on for uh, the uh, this year's financial aid application cycle. And, and so far, the numbers are consistent with prior years, meaning that the, the masking of the data does not at this point appear to be uh, having an impact on the, the, the borrowers. Uh, I did want to say uh, that I definitely appreciate the collaboration and partnership with the IRS because they have been phenomenal and, they, and the, just the partnership that they've actually provided for uh, 
for the department here to get the tool back up and online as quickly as possible. All right, I know that there's a lot going on there, and we could talk probably for another hour, but unfortunately we're out of time. So let me thank my guest, Jason Gray, the Department of Education's Chief Information Officer and the CIO Council's IT Workforce Committee Co-Chairman and one of the executive sponsors of that hiring fair November 6th and 7th, which I'm sure I'll see you at. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jason Miller. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 